Well, this morning I'd like for us to continue uh, to talking about Christmas. I want us to continue celebrating the birth of our Savior. Uh, we kind of got behind schedule with the storm that hit, and we had to cancel, and then we had the uh, Christmas cantata uh, during the, the worship service, so it sort of put us behind. Well, we're going to catch up uh, today. You may say, well, Christmas is past. Well, we're either a little late or a whole lot early, but we're going to talk this morning about the, the virgin birth of our Savior and the absolute necessity of the virgin birth. We started out talking about uh, where a Christ was born. And folks, that is so very important in understanding what the birth of Christ was all about. Uh, yes, the Scripture tells us it was in Bethlehem, but the Scriptures also tell us where in Bethlehem as it relates to the flock tower, that, that tower where the priestly shepherds observed the sheep that were giving birth to uh, the lambs that were to be sacrificed in the temple, and that's why they uh, was a sign that you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, uh, laying in a manger. Uh, they knew exactly where to go because that's exactly what they did with those lambs that were born to those special sheep as they would gather them up and wrap them in swaddling cloths in order that they wouldn't damage themselves. So when the angel presented that truth to the shepherds, they knew exactly where to go to find um, the child, the Christ child. Then we talked about uh, when, uh, not December the 21st, uh, 25th, I guarantee you, but that is very likely the time of, of the, uh, the Holy Spirit coming, on to, uh, coming upon the, uh, the Virgin Mary, and she conceived uh, with uh, the Christ child. But his birth uh, was probably sometime around September the 29th, uh, and on, the, uh, fourth, on, on 4 B.C., uh, on that time as it, as it relates to the Feast of Tabernacles and Christ was to come and dwell among us or tabernacle uh, among us. So we talked about all of that and how, uh, how all of that truth is just uh, about his manifest presence with men uh, to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, both the, the where and the when uh, indicate an accuracy, uh, indicate the legitimacy of Christ, uh, Scripture. It gives us reasons that we can believe. It solidifies the truth of God's Word that, that uh, can't really be argued or shouldn't be argued. Now, I know some people are going to argue with a fence post, but the truth of the matter is uh, it's there, it's true, and uh, the Scripture bears all of that out. But this morning I want us to talk about the how. The how. We've talked about the where. We've talked about the when. This morning I want us to talk about the how and the importance of how, for without the virgin birth, as we've already discussed, um, uh, Christ could not have been the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. Uh, without the virgin birth, He could not have been God. And we know that, that He is God. Uh, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. God, the incarnate God, Emmanuel, God with us, uh, was born of the woman. Uh, so uh, if, if he were not virgin born, then we need to understand two things. Number one, the scripture's a lie. Number two, God's a liar. Well, the scriptures are true, and God is no liar, for they bear witness the fact 
that Christ was born uh, of a virgin. And as we said earlier, without the virgin birth, the cross is meaningless. Without the virgin birth, the cross is, is meaningless. There's no power. Without the virgin birth, there is no resurrection. It's not only meaningless, there cannot be a resurrection without the virgin birth. And so as we come together to celebrate the birth of Christ, it's more than just celebrating how precious that is, and it is precious. And the fact that we give gifts to one another, and we love on one another, and we express our, our love for one another, but we need to see that, that doctrinal truth of the virgin birth, because that makes everything else that occurred legitimate, makes everything else that took place meaningful and powerful. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Luke 1, verses 26 and 27. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 34, Tim. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? So what is that telling us? That she was a virgin. The scriptures are telling us that Mary was a virgin. Uh, Mary herself is bearing witness to, to that fact. Uh, Luke 2, uh, 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The Bible tells us that this virgin was going to conceive. She conceived. She said, I've not known a man. How can this be possible? And she did bring forth her firstborn son born of a virgin. It's startling to me the number of pastors, the number of pastors that I've talked to, and I know it's not hearsay, I've talked to some who don't believe in the virgin birth. Now, I know there's a world full of people that don't believe in the virgin birth, but there are pastors that don't believe in the virgin birth. They say, well, we are, we're also men of science, and that is not possible. Well, see, the key is Luke one thirty-seven. Luke 1.37 tells us, For with God nothing shall be impossible. And I got news for you. If you don't believe in the virgin birth, as we're going to see in a second, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. Christ is not your Savior. If you deny that God was made manifest in the flesh and was born of a virgin. You're not a believer. But our Lord was conceived by the Holy Spirit. No human father involved, and that is absolutely significant. It is important, because if Christ was not virgin-born, 
there is no debt payer qualified to pay the debt that I owe. We understand that, right? If Christ is not virgin born, his death on the cross is meaningless. We've already talked about that. But then he's not qualified to be that debt payer. I've talked to people that said, well, you know, that, that whole debt payer thing, well, there's really no original sin. Well, then you're calling the Bible a lie. You're calling what God's word tells us is a lie. So, number one, why are you a pastor? And number two, what is it about this book that you do believe? We happen to believe all of it. Amen? That it is the word of God. And it's absolutely important for our redemption, for our salvation, that he shed his blood for our sins Without the virgin birth, his blood does not qualify to be that payment. And as I mentioned last Sunday after the cantata, which did such a great job, I was so, I was so impressed. Um, uh, they, they did good. You're right, Linda. Can you imagine heaven and how glorious it is and Neil this very moment Marsha I, I believe he's enjoying all the glories and splendors of heaven and I know as much as we'd love to see him sitting down right there uh, he, his view right now is a whole lot better and we rejoice in that but can, but can you imagine how glorious heaven is and how wonderful heaven is and we can all look forward to going right but imagine the reverse. Imagine being worshipped, being adored, being praised, having the adoration of all the angels and stepping out of heaven and coming to earth where you're going to be rejected, you're going to be despised, you're going to be ill-treated, you're going to be crucified. Imagine that. And that's exactly what Christ did on our behalf, even though he was God himself, he lowered himself, even lower than the angels. He, 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 born of a woman, to me that sacrifice continues to boggle my mind. The creator submitting himself to the creation uh, boggles my mind and causes me to worship and adore him that much more. All for my redemption, all for your redemption. But God becoming man through the birth process, growing up, uh, being dependent, being weak, being hungry, being thirsty, experiencing pain, experiencing grief, experiencing sadness, uh, experiencing death at the hands of cruel and hateful man. And you've got to keep in mind that God, God can't die. He's God. That's what, what, the wages of sin is death. And someone who was qualified had to pay that debt. Because I might be willing to die for you. I, I mean, I love you enough that if, if it came down to my life or your life, I would, I would give my life for you. And you would go, boy, isn't that sweet. Boy, what a guy he is that he's willing to give up his life. I'd certainly do it for my children in a heartbeat, not even think twice about it. But my death is not going to save them. 
my death is not going to save you except for maybe for a second or two. But his death and his bloodshed does. So what's the key? What's, what's the mystery to that? That the Son of God became the Son of Man in order for the sons of men might become the sons of God. I love that. I love that. That he was willing to become like us in order that we might become like him. And that was only, he was only able to accomplish that through the virgin birth. It was prophesied, Isaiah 7, verse 14. Tim's, I don't even have a chance to get my Bible open before Tim has those scriptures up, up there. But Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So the scriptures proclaim it. God himself told us that was what was coming, and how absolutely important it is that we believe in the virgin birth. Look at 1 John. Chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Starting with verse well verse 2. 1 John 4:2. Hereby know you the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. So those that say Christ did not, that God did not come in the flesh, why, they have the spirit of the Antichrist. They are not of God. But God himself became man in flesh. God incarnate, Emmanuel. John 1.14 says that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that Christ was manifest in the flesh. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness... God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. He was, God was manifest in the flesh. How so? Through Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 3, tells us that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh... God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So God himself was made flesh, dwelt among us. He was manifest in the flesh, but he wasn't sinful. 
He was without sin, right? So how could that be? Everyone that's born of Adam's race is born sinful. Everyone that's born from your father, you are born sinful, and that condition is passed on. What this tells us is that it isn't the flesh that contaminates. So what is it then? It is not the flesh that transmits the sin to that child, to the next child, to the next child. So it's not the flesh. As a matter of fact, um, Christ told Thomas to, to touch him. And when Christ, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 50, it talks about the fact that, that, uh, that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of, of heaven, a kingdom of God. Uh, but Christ was flesh and bone, is what he tells Thomas. He says, touch me, I'm, I'm flesh and bone. So touch me, I am real. So what that tells, and he was already, he had uh, already resurrected, already had his resurrected body. So here we have the ample proof that it's not the flesh that contaminates. What is it that contaminates? And this is so important. The life of the flesh. Where is it? In the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus 17, verse 11 and verse 14. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given unto you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. Verse 14. For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it for the life thereof. So it is the blood that is the life of all flesh. It is the blood that is tainted from the fall that is passed on. When a child is born of Adam's race, that taint is passed on. Flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God, yet Christ was bone and flesh. At the rapture, we're going to, this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality. How thankful I am of that. But that taint, that corruption is passed on through the Father. And that, is, that we need to understand. That, that, that taint that corruption is passed on through the, the Father, uh, through the, the process, the element that the Father provides to the reproductive process uh, is what causes the blood, the circulatory system to, to form, to be made real. Not a single, single drop of blood passes from the mother to the baby. Not a single drop of blood passes from the mother to the baby. And actually it doesn't pass from the father either. Uh, the baby's blood, here's the neat thing, the baby's blood is his own. But it is from the, the element that the father provides that the circulatory system is, is made. Um, the Father provides that source that, that generates uh, the uh, life. Uh, the egg can't do it alone, but it's what the, the Father uh, contributes to that, that source that brings about the uh, circulatory system. And I'm no scientist. I'm no doctor. Um, and I really don't understand a whole lot of that. Other 
than this. Whoever your father is, that the propensity, the corruption, that, that's, that part of being born of Adam's race you possess came from your dad. Came from your, not that your mother's not corrupt, she is, but none of her blood passes on to, to that, that child. The mother, and you nurses, and you doctors, and, and you smarter people than I am, uh, uh, you let me know if you know different, but it's by the mother through the umbilical cord, through the placenta that, that all the, uh, the oxygen and, the, and the, the, the nutrients and everything that the baby needs is supplied through the umbilical cord, uh, then the placenta absorbs it and osmosis and the waste that goes out passes to the mother, but never is the child's blood and mother's blood mingled. The blood that circulated through Christ Jesus was never tainted by Adam's race. That's what we need to understand. His blood was never tainted. Who was Christ's father? God himself. The Holy Spirit came, and so that source, that element that caused that, that child to form in the womb was... was that element that causes that corruption was not introduced into him. That is why it was so important that he be born of a virgin, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Had he had an earthly father, his blood would have been corrupted. He wouldn't have been able to, been able to die for the sins of the world. But Mary's blood never touched him. The blood uh, that circulated through his, his system was his own that was generated, that was provided through that source that the Father provides. I'm telling you, when God's Word tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, folks, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is, it, it is mind-boggling to me how wonderful God's creation is, how ordered it is, how magnificent it is. Not only how beautiful it is, but the intricacy of God's creation and how it all fits together in order that he might demonstrate his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All of that points to Calvary, point from the virgin birth to his love. Everything points to his blood being special, his blood being that which could uh, make cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, when we read Romans 3.25, Romans 3.25, for God whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, whom God has, talking about Christ, 
set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. His blood. Not just the fact that somebody shed blood. It was his blood. That's the important thing. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood. Underline his blood. You, you realize it, it doesn't say much more than being now justified by blood. By blood. See, blood has no power. As a matter of fact, it's tainted. But not his blood. Not his blood. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through blood. Is that what it says? In whom we have redemption through his blood. When he says, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He means it. And it's because of the virgin birth. It's because it's his blood that was shed. It's his blood that gives us meaning. Revelation 12, verse 11. And they overcame him, talking about the beast, the Antichrist, by the blood of of the Lamb. You told them about there's power, and when we sing, maybe we should have sang that song today. There, maybe we ought to make that a Christmas carol. There is power. There is power. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. See, again, I'm no doctor. You probably already figured that out. But let me encourage you to read Martin R. DeHaan's book, his work on the chemistry of the blood. He makes so much more sense of it than I can. But look up Richard or Martin R. DeHaan. Martin R. DeHaan in, in his little book, his little bitty book, The Chemistry of the Blood. And he goes into detail about how... Uh, the mother and father and what comes from each and and it is just fascinating but the bottom line is is the fact that God the father is the father of God the son makes it possible for his death on the cross to have meaning Jesus was sinless no human father to pass on the corruption. He had a human nature, 100%, but not a sinful nature. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. We have a word for it. It's called hypostatic union. That's the theological word for what transpired. He was the only one who has ever had two natures. Two natures. He had a human nature, and he had a divine nature. Human nature, divine nature. Only person that ever had that. Only person who ever will have that. Because there's no need to ever have that two natures again. Folks, 
and one of these days we'll preach on this. We only have one nature. That's the human nature. Now, I'll talk with you all day long about the fact that you have the flesh and the spirit that war against one another. But you don't have two natures. You have one nature, human nature, and you need the blood of Christ to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He is the one that had two natures. 100% God. 100% man. The one and only one qualified to purchase our redemption. Yes, Christmas time is a special time. Yes, we talk about the babe in the manger. We talk about the shepherds adoring him. We talk about the wise men coming and bringing their gifts to the Christ child. But it is, it is so much more than just a celebration of his birth. It gives us detail on how this man born in Bethlehem can be the Savior of the world. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 19. Well, start with verse 18. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Why was the virgin birth absolutely necessary so that would be true. So that you can say that I've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. And this morning, if you're not redeemed, this morning, if you're not saved, let me tell you what you need to do in order to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's believe on the Lord and thou shalt be saved by faith you believe that Christ died for your sins was buried and rose again by faith I mean what you believe is important I mean just having faith is is not enough because a lot of people have faith people have faith in Mohammed people have faith in Buddha people have faith in uh, that they don't need faith so being a person of faith that's not going to get it your faith has to be in the one who can actually perform that redemption that salvation who can actually bring it about and there's only one person who was virgin born who died on the cross who rose from the dead and by faith you believe that to be true and then when you believe, see, the work was already done. Here's the good thing about it. The work was done uh, by Christ on Calvary's cross. That, you say, well, that, that just seems so easy. He, it wasn't for him. It is for you. By faith, you believe that Christ died for your sins. And when you believe and you do what God's word says you do, 
that you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You believe, you, you believe that he's come in the flesh. You, you believe that truth. You believe the gospel. You believe the gospel. When you believe that, God's work continues. Not only did he work as he died on the cross, the moment you believe, he works to justify you, to sanctify you, to redeem you, to do everything. I'd say we get it, we get off pretty easily, don't we? It all goes to God. All the credit, all the glory. He's the one who does it. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, by works that we can do in order to make us more saved to bring us into a better relationship with God than doing what He tells us we have to do, and that's believe. And when we do, He begins His work in us, that is to conform us to the image of His Son. We, just as you trust Him for salvation, you trust Him that He begins His work in you, and He is going to do that work. And that work is to conform you to the image of His Son. He, does, he did the work in, in before, He does the before work, and He does the after work. Because that's the kind of God He is. And then once He starts working in your life, once He starts, do, he, he brings about the changes. He brings, a, He makes the difference in your life. And by faith, we trust Him to do that. Have you done that? Have you by faith believed in Christ? That story is true. The salvation is real. And if you've never by faith believed, let me encourage you to do that this morning in the quietness of this moment to believe that Christ died for you. He shed His blood. God's Word calls it precious. As it flowed from Calvary, you need to understand that what flowed from Calvary was the only blood that could ever make a difference in an individual's life. It was his. That's how important the virgin birth is. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. How we thank you for that plan of redemption. Father, how we thank you that you love us so much that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life. Father, we rejoice in that salvation and we praise your name for that salvation. And I pray this morning that every person here in attendance knows you as Savior. And Father, by faith they have believed that you died for them, that you were buried, that you rose again. And they trust you for that salvation that there's no one here depending on their own good works, on their own good behavior, on their own deeds, on their own works, because they all fall so far short. But everyone here realizes just who the Savior is. And the only one Father that you recognize as being that propitiation for all of our sins. 
We pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.